Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and this is Motivational Mondays, of course. I'm joined today by Anna Taylor, Executive Director of the Greater Sum Foundation, a private organization whose mission is to support innovation in the nonprofit sector. Anna wears many hats in this role, including nurturing a robust volunteer network and engaging with higher education institutions to support a pipeline of young entrepreneurs. Anna, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you, Corey. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's my pleasure. And as we were speaking a little bit off camera before we started, you know, I was sharing with you that, you know, we have read some things here at the NSLS regarding employers who are sort of concerned that when they get new hires who are out of college, some of the skills are lacking, whether it be people skills or just the soft skills. And in a way, what you do sort of really prepares students uh, in, a, in a really, really robust way. So can you provide an overview of the Greater Sum Foundation's mission and the core values that drive the organization? Yep, happy to do it. The Greater Sum was founded, well, first of all, inspired by the Aristotle saying the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So we really believe that a network of people with a variety of skills can, you know, like have more impact than those people not being connected. So what we do is we work with early stage nonprofits and the nonprofits we work with are usually founded by someone who has both an area of expertise and a lived experience that tells them this is what's missing. This is what needs to happen in order to solve this problem that I'm passionate about. Now, depending on what that problem is, what that solution is, the expertise that's required to start a nonprofit or a business is not necessarily the same. So what we want to do is remove like barriers, roadblocks, bumps in the road that come from needing to start up an entire business. So the finance, the IT, the human resources, the marketing, you know, I know brilliant people who are like saying to themselves right now, do I have to join threads? Right? <laughs> like it's just one more thing. And whenever you're doing those things, you're not doing that thing that you're passionate about. So we bring in volunteers who are like, oh, I like that thing. Mm, okay. So you're connecting dots, basically. I mean, not to reduce it, but I'm just going to break it down. So you're connecting the dots with people who literally have perhaps a passion for one specific thing, and they can go get some hands-on, if you will, training in that, which then can be applied I, I suppose, in a career capacity. Right. We have interns who uh, work with nonprofits. We have college-age volunteers who work with nonprofits. And then we also have people who are further along in their career and have those areas of expertise and just want to help people who are earlier on the journey. 
with that. So like, oh, let me tell you what I wish I knew. Let me introduce you to someone who is brilliant at this. Let me, you know, and it's just, we have all of these stored experiences and reflections and skills that volunteers are like, wait a minute, this could help this cause that I am also passionate about? Like, yes, let me help. Yeah, you know, when I hear that explanation of, of what you do, I'm immediately drawn to the 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 purpose, the movement of DEI and inclusion. Because I don't think you can really fully have those robust sort of tangible experiences where people are really fully con- uh, contributing what they may know if everyone's not invited to the table. There's so many things that we all might just know from our unique individual experiences. How does that play into I mean, and maybe I'm off the mark. I'm just, but how does that play into it though? No, you're absolutely not off the mark. And there's different ways that that plays into entrepreneurship because, okay, so I worked in college readiness for like 15 years before I started working with Greater Sum. And I worked with a lot of high school and college age students and and middle school students. And what I noticed about students is their career goals are based around what they've already seen and experienced. Mm. So there are so many kind of niche or exclusive areas that a lot of people just don't know what they don't know. So kids go into college with a major that is based on what people have told them. Mm-hmm. You got to be a doctor. You got to be a lawyer, oh, right? <laughs> yeah. And so like when you kind of open up that complexity of all of the things that are available, students are like, I had no idea that this was a path that would not only generate income, it would also like fill my heart and tap into my talents and, you know, not make me feel like it's a drudgery or a responsibility or what have you. Right. Yeah. And then on the other side, there's that lived experience criteria where like, if you don't have a diverse team of people working on solutions, you are missing the real like pertinent solutions. So yeah. Well, I know I love that, and I, I know and it's it's um, very funny you bring up the uh, idea about we all go into well, not all, but most of us go into professions because our parents told us, "Oh, there's great money in that," or your uncle did it, or your father did it. And I recall a story of of my own when I was like in the second grade, and you know the teacher goes around, she's like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And it's like a policeman, a ballerina, and I was like ten years old, maybe nine. I said an undertaker. I don't know because my uncle Paul was an undertaker and they made a lot of monies. So from like the age of like nine, I was already saying, I'm going to be not even knowing what that was. Right. Until I got to be about 15. I'm like, wait, is I'm going to be, no, (laughs) that's not what I'm going to be doing. (laughs) That's what an undertaker does, but I had no idea, but you know, it's a great example of, um, obviously once I got exposed, I'm now, I work in marketing and creative. And so, yeah, but that's a great point. So I don't want to like steer anyone the wrong direction here, but on that point, I want to ask you, then what is your thought about should kids or high school kids go directly to college or 
is there a benefit to waiting? I know we're being careful here not to like, you know, advise anyone, but is there some benefit to waiting and maybe seeing what you like in the world first? I think it depends on what options you have available to you to get out there and see what you like. Because if you are 18 and you're like, I'm just going to work in my neighborhood Mm. for a family business, or if you're staying in the same realm that you've been in, that year is not going to open up possibilities for you. And one thing I will say is like, I know a lot of people who in that year off or that first summer after freshman year got a cool job took on a car payment and never went back to college because once you have those recurring bills, it is harder and harder to say, now I'm going to stop. Yeah. That money, money's coming in. Yeah. Oh, and that's another great point. Yeah. I mean, I I remember high school reunion, 10 years, my first one, um, the kids were burnt out already when I went back to my reunion. A lot of those kids fit that bill. You know, they were out of high school 10 years and they got, they were doing their insurance job or their, whatever the jobs were, but some of them were at that point, more there were mortgages involved and children. And it's much more difficult to say, I need to change gears because now you have to maintain not just yourself, but as a family structure in place. Right. Now, the way that I think a gap year, or I know a program in Atlanta that does a leap year because it is really focused on giving kids that experience that goes beyond and gives them a greater sense of like purpose and conviction around going to college, right? If if you have the opportunity to do something like that, I think it's an incredible experience, right? Because when you go to college and you hit like freshman core classes and it, you know, the life experience you're having is totally different, but the academic experience you're having might feel a little bit like more high school. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. you're still taking things you're not interested in. That makes it harder to say, this is why I'm doing this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you have to still do your college math and your science. And if well, we used to joke that it felt like the 13th grade at first. You know, when you first go and then you realize, but I, that's why I think what you're doing is so important. And I wonder, you know, I not wonder, I, I wish something like this had been around, you know, when I was in high school or coming out of high school, going into college, because I, I think it makes all the difference in the world. So is there a clear distinction, though, we can make between if someone were to ask, well, what's the difference between skills based volunteering and how does it differ from just traditional volunteering? Like, how would you define those two distinctions? Yep. Good question. So we work a lot with university partners so that a group of students that is studying something academically is able to use those skills that they're learning in a volunteer capacity for an organization. Mm. So, for example, you know, like help build a website or an app or you know, in the marketing realm, like take a look at someone's website and tell them what could be different about it for the audience they're trying to attract or help with a social media campaign or do a like market research project. Like these are all things that students are talking about. They're doing in like just kind of hypothetical, like invent an ice cream shop and develop a marketing campaign for it. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. But When you work with a nonprofit on doing that, 
you have that client facing experience where you have to say, what do you need? What are you trying to accomplish? Like, what resources do you have available for this project? And then go through those soft skills of listening, right? And then finding a right fit solution and then helping them implement it. So if your right fit solution is you need a full-time web developer in order to maintain this website, the nonprofit's going to look at you like, thank you for the suggestion, however. Right. So what I think is great about that is a an obvious benefit then for someone just starting out in their career, like a college student or you know a graduating high school student. This work is tangible work that is now a resume item, right? That actually takes you out into your career path and it's a tangible versus, like you said, the, the virtual kind of fun projects like you just mentioned in college. So that's a big distinction as well, right? These are actual tangible things on a resume once they've completed them. Right. Mm, right. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing because that's, that's like interns have a hard time getting actual work. Like you can intern and it'll say I interned, but unless you have some specific tasks that you've done, and very often interns don't have that, right? They're just sort of like there. I mean, the whole joke about them making coffee, but it's not really a joke sometimes. Yeah, well, I have a lot of issues with, you know, the way internships are structured and the way interns are not paid in many circumstances, right? Like all of these are... I think kind of, number one, archaic approaches to onboarding potential future employees, because in a big corporate structure, that's what it looks like. Oh, my gosh, if I get this internship, I might not get paid this summer and it might be hard and I'll do this. But then, like, maybe they'll hire me or I'll have this cool name on my resume. Yeah. Right. But. But if, you know, if you're not coming out with the bullet points under the internship that a future employer is going to look and say, like, okay, that's what I actually need them to do. That's a skill that I've seen people suffer in the workplace because they don't have, right? Without that, it's not translating. And then the other part of that is it's really exclusionary. It's problematic to say, so just support yourself all summer and do this internship for us for the glory of it, the honor of it, right? No, no, honor does not pay your rent. <laughs> exactly. I can't, I can't deposit honor into my checking account. And you're right. It is very archaic. And um, I think it now varies from state to state where that, I, I'm not, I don't think it's federal, but I know some states have to actually pay you. And I remember like maybe 2012 being intern for Viacom at MTV. And I was just like, to your point, I was like, just happy to be there. I'm like, oh, this is going to be on my resume. But I was like an older student. So I had real adult bills. And I was like, this is crazy. I'm not getting anything. And about a year and a half later, a check came in the mail (laughs) because they had passed some law and they made New York like kind of retroactively pay interns. So it makes a difference. And I think you get a better quality also of what the internship will be. I think when people pay you, now they're inclined to actually put you to work, right? Right. Yeah. And to really think about the what the experience is and how it's mutually beneficial. An internship should be preparation for that career. And, you know, from the employer's perspective, remember nonprofits are often very lean teams and it's, it's 
a stretch to pay an intern, but then it is also, you know, it's a risk in onboarding someone, giving them work to do, and, you know, like if they don't follow through on it. So every organization has to find their own like level of comfort and capacity to manage interns. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it works both ways. You know, sometimes interns are there because they want to stay on as well. And it's just going to be a temporary thing because there's no room actually to add them as a full-time employee. I always tell all the interns or volunteers in this case, get in there and just do the best work you can. Because when you take that with you, that is, if you're not getting paid, that is your tangible asset that you walk away with at least some work in your portfolio, a nice line on your resume. And that, uh, there is value in that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, you know, LinkedIn connections and people who are willing to write references for you and open do- doors for you, you know, that I think those of us that work with young people as interns, as volunteers, whatever, like, it falls to us to do a little bit of network building for them, you know, and maybe not everybody has that like heart or spirit for it, but like figure out what you can do. If it's an Adam Grant style five minute favor, or if it's, you know, like telling your interns, if you ever want to be introduced to one of my LinkedIn connections, let me know, or, you know, whatever, there's got to be some kind of ongoing support and relationship. And especially for those of us that are small shops, and there are no full time jobs, ready and waiting for interns, like, we love it when they go on and do cool, exciting stuff. Well, I think why this is such a great thing you're doing too is, um, and not to get into a political uh, conversation, but you know the the latest Supreme Court uh, ruling on the on affirmative action, for example. There is a segment of society that benefits from status and wealth, and you know they may have access to employment opportunities. And I recall working for uh, a major ad agency and the summer internships were like just snatched up by the friends of the execs. And that's a thing. I'm still, you know, don't people don't write me letters and holler at me and email me. I mean, this is a fact. This is what, this is what happens. So I think that what's great about what you're doing here is it, it helps level the playing field too. This is, I mean, my perception, right? Cause you're, it's, it's merit based. It's skills based. It's connecting like-minded people. It's not who my parents know, or I donated a wing (laughs) to the college, right? I mean, I think that's a big deal. How do you think? What do you think about that? I mean, so we don't do this in any kind of large capacity. It's a passion project for me, and it's a slow network building thing. Now, I do think that, so, okay, my background, my degrees are in cultural anthropology. And when I told my parents that I was changing my major for the third time in my freshman year and it was going to be cultural anthropology, they're kind of like, okay, you know, and I loved all of the, you know, like learning that I did. And then later when I was a TA, I loved the way taking an intro to anthropology class, like opened students' minds to different perspectives. I mean, they would literally be like, wait a minute. 
you don't have to do it the way it happened in my family and my town and my church and my, you know, like it could be different. Mm. Like, yeah, people are doing it different all over the world and they're doing fine. Right. And so like, that's magical. But what I did not get is really solid career counseling. And so at my first job interview after school, it was at a local government office and they were like, I remember I'm in the South and the interviewer was like, honey, we don't dig up bones here. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like, and I was okay. like, yeah, I am not prepared <laughs> to explain anthropology to you. Like I did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. Right. And ha- so, so you had no response really. Cause you're like, wait, how do I respond to that? Right. Right. Exactly. And so like, <laughs> I think that a lot of the students I work with are in marketing and media. They're in computer fields and they're in business programs, whether that's MBAs or undergrad, you know, with a focus on business or sustainable business or whatever, right? So those programs are doing a really good job of getting students this experience. And about, you know, like we always talk about college turns into all group work, right? Like you're always doing group projects. Projects, yeah. Not everywhere, you know, like not in some of the majors. And then those group projects, if they're in internally focused rather than focused on the world outside of your school, you're getting a good experience of what it will be like in the workplace to kind of navigate difference in, you know, process and moving towards a goal, but you're not getting the same level of skill in what you mentioned at the beginning, those skills that have to do with interaction and satisfying what people are asking for. And, you know, so I do think there's a lot of space for that to happen more than it is currently happening, because I I never want to see a world where we don't have English majors, right? So what we need to have is English majors who come out of school like, and this is what I can do. Mm-hmm. And here on my resume are examples of where I've done it. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, it's funny you bring that up too, because with the whole chat GP, uh, G, uh, whatever it is, the AI chat, speaking of English and writing, for example, there's all this talk, oh, like when the writer strike happened in Hollywood, it's like, oh, the they're going to be replaced by AI. And like, no, no, they're not. Like, you actually need English majors because AI is not going to be accurate in many instances. And so there is, there has to be a human (laughs) to sort of uh, make sure they navigate through that new world, that new frontier. And I wonder how does this sort of uh, onslaught of AI impact what you're doing in any way, or or does it impact what you're doing? So I, I think it it's an interesting conversation for people who are trying to get into entry level positions because a lot of what AI can do faster is kind of entry level work. Mm-hmm. And so the new frontier is going to be are you comfortable working with AI? Cuz you have to, though. right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So rather than say I want to come to your company and do the same job that an AI could do for your company, say, I can be the one who gives the AI the prompts that brings back something other than nonsense. Mm, I love that. Like, I have a friend who 
uses an AI art pr program and he shares a lot of his art on Facebook. And it's so interesting because it will be in a different style, you know, like he's going through different thoughts, different moods. It's a different style, but it's all recognizably coming out of his brain. Mm -hmm. And that the AI is not doing that on its own. You know, if it dumped every combination of concepts at us all at once, we would, we couldn't look through them. Right. So somebody is saying, I want it to look like this, but be in this style. No, not quite like that and shape what's coming out of it. And that's a really similar skill to using, you know, like an illustrator program or, you know, the, or Grammarly or something like that. Like you're, you're shaping, but you have to know how to do that, that molding. And that's a huge skill. Yeah. Oh, Grammarly is a great example because I'm a writer by trade. And so, and I'm a competent writer and I've always been confident as a copywriter. That's what I do. Right. But I still had an issue like, where the hell do I put my semicolon? I just sometimes, you know, I cannot grasp that. Uh, you know, sometimes I have those crazy words that are like, you know, I mix them up. Complimentary and complimentary is like, you know, things like that. Uh, and AI as an assistant helps me. But you're right. There's no emotion with AI. Like I have to still be a writer, but there's a technical skill gain. So I think you, you raise a great point because AI is being positioned by society in many aspects as this terrifying thing that's is going to kill us all <laughs> by morning. And I the think Terminator it's a, really sunk in with us. Like yeah, we <laughs> it's that yeah, Terminator and the and the Will Smith one, like iRobot, like those two, people reference them both a lot. But I love that you're, you know, if we reframe our thinking around AI, and that's a great point you just made, position yourself as the AI wrangler, maybe, <laughs> because that's where the wild west is happening and no one really knows what to do with it. That's great. Yeah. I love that. I, that that's, that's a tip that we're going to really emphasize. I think that's really great. So let me just talk you through the, I guess, the actual logistics of what you do. So you... Are you approached by these you know, these young people or do you find them? Are they submitted to you? And then you say to them, hey, let's find out what you do. Like, what's the process like? So usually it's working with professors. So we try to make our own organization and the organizations that we support accessible for student groups that are trying to do this kind of project. And so Greater Sum gives grants to nonprofits, and we run a virtual incubator for nonprofits. And an interesting, unexpected, but delightful part of that work has been realizing how many of these nonprofits are youth-founded, youth-led, you know, like someone's pivot after a short time of working in a corporate setting, right? And so... For those nonprofits, we provide these skills and resources, including connections to, you know, like a group of students that want to lend their marketing or media or whatever power to that nonprofit's work. But it's really hard to pull that together directly. It works best when a professor says, I have the bandwidth to run this in my class. 
or a student organization says, like, this is what we do, and this is how nonprofits can connect with it. And then I can share that out with nonprofits so that they can, you know, get in line to be next semester's project or what have you. That is wonderful. I loved our conversation today, Anna. Thank you so much. We are passionate about our community of young college students, but also non-traditional students. We, we run the gamut. And this information is helpful to our entire community of over 1.7 million members. So thank you for being here today with us on Motivational Mondays. We really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to be here, Corey. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.